Right on. Okay, so we have Jeremy Treat with us today. We're waiting for him to start his video. Uh, so Jeremy, there he is. Fantastic. Right on. All right, good. So, so uh, all right. So greetings, everyone. Again, my name is Brian Howard. Most of you know me because I, I lead this call every Thursday morning with Justin Anderson. And today we have a really special treat and a special guest that's with us today. A friend of mine who I've known for several years now and done some good work with. He's the pastor of Reality Church in Los Angeles. He lives in Los Angeles. Uh, professor, I'm not still sure if you're a professor at Biola, but historically a professor at Biola. Yeah, right on. Yep, still doing it. And uh, my, my uh, seminary alma mater anyways. And so we asked, um, we asked Jeremy to come on today because we'd love to learn from him and to hear how Reality LA is, has weathered COVID. What's it like pastoring a church in Los Angeles? What are you learning right now? All that sort of stuff. So uh, we'll dive in, Jeremy, if you're good to go, man. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on, Brian. I'm, you know this. I'm super grateful for you and your friendship and ways that you've uh, counseled me in the past. And Justin, I don't think we've met in person. So it's Alan. it's really great to meet you, at least in the digital world. I mean, I know that we, had a lot, we have a lot of common friends. Um, we do, but, yeah. But most importantly there was a season where you were my little sister's pastor. That's right. And so yeah. that's like, it, it doesn't get more close to home for that. So that's thank right. you yeah. for your faithfulness and for pointing people to the Lord in general, but especially for the way that you passed through my sister and her family. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. We love getting to know them. Uh, she's a kick, man. Yep. She's a kick. Yep. <laughs> All right. So Jeremy, let's dive in. So tell us just a little bit about your background. And I'd love to start even with just, um, you know, I know you have a bit of a basketball background. You're a basketball player. Give us a little bit of your story um, and catch us up to where you are today. We'd love to just learn a little bit more about you. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you like the bullet point version. And then if you want to double click on anything and go deeper, uh, we can do that. So I, I grew up in Alaska. I lived in a small fishing town called Kenai uh, until I was 12 years old. And then my family moved to Seattle. So I did junior high and high school in Seattle. I became a Christian um, in junior high, grew up in the church, but uh, and my parents are really great, but uh, really grew up in like more legalistic, fundamentalist kind of settings. And I just, I remember as a teenager, like first understanding my sin and hearing the gospel. This like, all I'd heard is like advice of this is what you're supposed to do. This is what you have to do. And if you don't, you know, God's upset and, and hearing the gospel and that just changing me. And so um, you got saved at a young age and uh, junior high and high school there in Seattle. I came down to Biola to play basketball. Um, and so I was there for a couple of years. And then I went back to Seattle to help plant a church. Um, I mean, long story short, I was supposed to be the youth pastor. Uh, we had this core group. And then the guy who was going to be the senior pastor bailed right before we planted the church. And I thought I thought it was game over. Like, okay, we're not going to do it. And uh, I, you know, I, I ended up at this vacuum sales meeting. And I was like, Lord, like, I thought you brought me here to help plant this church. And like, what's happening now? And then, uh, and then the core team... I went to this meeting. I thought it was, I thought it was to say, okay, we're closing the doors. Like we're not going to do it. And the, the team said, no, we want to go forward. And Jeremy, we want you to lead us. And so I was 20 years old. Most of them were my parents' age. Um, and we started this church and I preached every week for the first six months or so. Uh, and then we had another guy who came in who was older than uh, who was the lead pastor. And we were really a team moving forward with that. So um, yeah, well, yeah, so I, that was when I came back to Seattle. I graduated from Seattle Pacific, planted that church, was there for seven years. And, um, and that, it was during that time where I got married. So my, my wife, Tiffany, and I now have four kids. We have four girls. They're six, eight, nine, and 11. So when I say I'm, I'm the man of the house, I mean it literally. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm, Tiff and I got married during that season pastoring. I, I started doing uh, seminary on the side. And it was during that time where like ministry and academia started to get interwoven for me. I was, I was doing ministry, but then uh, doing seminary at night. I never really applied myself in school. Like, I don't think I ever wrote a paper before nine o'clock at night. Like I loved it, but I was just, I was working hard in ministry and then doing school. And so I enjoyed it. I did well at it, but I never really applied myself. And I'd had some 
I'd had some professors recommend that I think about going on and doing more school, maybe pursuing a PhD. And so Tiff and I started praying about it and we ended up, we ended up going out to Chicago. I went to Trinity Evangelical, but then ended up at Wheaton College doing a PhD in theology under my theological hero, Kevin Van Hooser. I mean, I just, I, I still can't believe I got to do that for three years. Um, and, and as I was there, I mean, I was praying, especially my last year, I was praying, Lord, do you, do you want me to go back into ministry? I'm really like a pastor at heart, but God's opened these academic doors for me. Or do you want me to go into teaching in a, in a, at, a, at a university? And so through that, I'd really discerned like God had wired me and, and, and given me gifts to help bridge those worlds. What I really love is taking high level theology and bringing it to the street and to the pew and helping people understanding it and showing them more and more of the depths of the gospel. And um, so I was really in that space, but uh, just seeking God. And then I had a friend who had moved to LA at the same time that we moved to Chicago and he started coming to Reality LA. And all I knew about Reality LA is it was my friend's church in LA. And he used to call me and say, God's doing this amazing work and you'd love the pastors here. And, but that's all I knew. And I was, I was praying outside the library at Wheaton during my last year, my graduate degree there. And I felt like God put Reality LA into my head. And I called my friend and, and said, hey, you know, I was praying felt like God put reality LA into my head. We kind of laughed it off. Wouldn't that be funny? And uh, he, get, that guy gets a text the next day from Tim Chaddock who planted the church saying, Hey, we're, we're growing so fast. We we're trying to raise people up within, but, but we need to find someone from the outside. So he, he connected him to me and, and then it was just such a, we, we just hit it off so well. And then two weeks later, someone from Biola reached out to me and asked if I'd consider adjuncting there and, so God really just brought that together. So we, my wife and I, we've been in LA now for eight and a half years. We love it. I mean, honestly, it was, it felt supernatural. Like when we landed here on January 1st, 2013, we felt like this is home and we want to put down roots here and Lord willing, that's what we'll do as long as the Lord will let us. Um, I feel really blessed to be in the position that I'm in and doing what I'm doing. And uh, we didn't move here because we loved it. We moved here because we felt called, but we've really come to love Los Angeles and the work that God's called us here to. So you ended up, what was the, how did you end up as the lead pastor? Because you came to work with Tim Chaddock and yeah. the lead pastor of Reality. Yeah, so Tim Chaddock planted Reality LA in 2006, and I came in 2013, seven years in. And uh, I came in as kind of a second guy. I was preaching, you know, 30, 40% of the time. Um, developed a lot of our theology and discipleship stuff that we do as a church. And then um, a couple of years after I got here, Tim really felt called to London. And he, he, had a, he has a whole history and past with London and really felt called for that. And as, as he was feeling called there, I mean, we were just feeling more and more called here and to the church specifically. And so he and the other elders asked me to step into his position. Um, and so we sent him off uh, about man over five years ago now to plant reality church london and so i stepped into the position of pastor and preaching and vision then and yeah i was you know tim is tim's one of my dearest friends he's an incredible pastor and preacher and he laid a really good foundation and then for us to be able to to move forward into this next season for us as a church was huge um and and you know sending off a founding pastor is is a massive deal but by God's grace, um, we didn't just get through that transition, but uh, I think it was really a season for us of growing and learning. And the way I've described it is it wasn't so much of a transition from Tim to me as much as it was a transition from us being a young church plant that really had so much momentum and we're living off of a lot of momentum to transitioning Lord willing to be a church that's making disciples from generation to generation and is really just rooted in the city for the long haul. And I feel like over the last five years, I mean, by God's grace, we've, we've been able to do that. So yeah, it's, it's been a ride. So you passed for a church essentially in Hollywood. I mean, you guys meet in Hollywood, you live just outside of Hollywood. What is it like? We don't have anybody on this call today who lives in Hollywood that I know of anyways. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So what is it like pastoring a church in Hollywood? Well, I'll, I'll tell you this. It, it's different than what people think in the same sense that Hollywood is not what people think, 
right? So people outside of Southern California or outside of LA think of Hollywood and they think of the, the glamour and the glitz and celebrities and all that stuff. If, if you go to Hollywood today and you go down to Hollywood Boulevard, you will be shocked. It, it smells like a combination of urine and marijuana. It's dirty. It's, uh, I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a tough place. And there's touristy spots that, you know, we take our friends to and they come in town and all that. But uh, what, what we often say is that Los Angeles is a magnet for broken people. And people come here with dreams and they, they often turn into nightmares because the city is hard and it chews people up and it spits them out. And people come with their big dreams. They, they go to audition after audition and they get rejected over and over and over again. You go from sleeping on a couch in one place to another. And after a few years, people become really jaded and hurt. And then most people who move here uh, then don't have family. So there's so many people in LA that, that then the isolation is just massive. Um, so it's, it's a magnet for broken people. And that's, you know, I just kind of walked through a, a narrative of like a, an aspiring actor. You have that there, but then you have it in your face in the most extreme ways. So when we talk about homelessness, I mean, Los Angeles has twice as many homeless people in it as any other city in the United States. And that is, um, I mean, it's, it's everywhere, it's everywhere you go. And, and so like dealing with homelessness, immigration, all the kind of gender and sexuality issues, those things are, are just really direct um, for us in the way that we do ministry and having to be able to having to confront those things head on. And, and one, one other aspect I would say about LA that's unique is I think LA represents the future in a lot of ways, because if, if you go to like New York or Boston or even London, it's very secular in the sense of people don't think of themselves as being religious. But I would say that LA is hyper-religious and Part of that is because it's so diverse. Um, I mean, you know, when, when you talk about kind of the secular world, I mean, that's, you're usually talking about white culture, European descent. I mean, Los Angeles is 29% white. So when, when, you, when you think about LA, I mean, just even the religious, like religious pluralism that like is, is such a big deal here. Where, where I'm at, I'm in our church office right now. Across the street to the south, there's the tarot card reader. If you go a block to the north, there's the Church of Self-Realization. If you go a block to the east, it's Scientology. And if you go a little bit down south on Fountain, there's this massive Eastern Orthodox Russian church. So, I mean, just like the, the, the religious diversity here in and of itself, and, and you, the average person you talk to on the street, they're, they're just kind of taking a little bit of that a little bit of this and a little bit of that, right? Like they're, they're buying crystals at the crystal shop next to the ice cream shop. That's, you know, down the, down the street from my house and taking a little bit of, you know, Eastern religions. And I'll, I'll take these aspects of my parents' Christianity, maybe that'll work into that. Uh, so like from, from a perspective of like, of religious pluralism, that really shapes the way uh, that we do ministry here. Hey, Jeremy, one of the things we've talked about a lot on these pastor guide calls is just how much COVID has messed up everything, you know, in the last year and it's just changed so much. So I'd love to hear a little bit of like what, how you guys have pivoted and responded to COVID, um, but then maybe zoom out a little bit and just go, what are some things you've learned about your church, about LA, about pastoring that maybe this experience of COVID has revealed for you? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. I, um, I mean, when I think about COVID and even how, how I think of myself in that, it just, it, it feels like the wilderness, you know, and we are, when you're in the wilderness, you have to, you, you can't have a promised land mindset when you're in the wilderness, you have to change your expectations and how you define success. And that's certainly been the case for me personally, like I'm just Overall, I've just been exhausted and tired and stressed. And then I think, well, that's kind of how you are in the wilderness, right? <laughs> like yeah. you, you can't ex expect um, to just be feeling great all the time. For us as a, as a church, I think in the most, I think in, 
I think overall it's intensified what's already there. It's brought stuff that was beneath the surface in what feels like like a violent in your face way. But, you know, I think about the racial stuff that we've worked through and that stuff was all there. It's been there, right? Like there's nothing new about George Floyd or Ahmaud Arbery or even the, the racism that's being directed towards Asian Americans. There's nothing new about that. The band-aids are being ripped off. And, and we had a we then you have those events happening, and then you have the least ideal situation to deal with those events, right? Doing so on, on digital platforms where it's really, you know, it's it's hard to read people. You're much less prone to compassion and listening well than if you're sitting across a dinner table with someone. So it, it's exposed to those things. I, I think it's, um, I think an interesting question with all of this is the use of technology. Yeah. Um, and I'm, my fear in this is that, that churches come out of the pandemic and say, great, like now we're experts at doing this all digitally. And so let's just do that. I mean, I heard, I heard a pastor earlier this week basically say, our numbers have gone up digitally so we're just going to like double down on that, like for the future. And I, I've heard a lot of pastors have that mindset. And my concern with that is that it, it's a, it's a, it's being driven by pragmatism rather than convictions. Yeah. Right. So if, if it works in terms of like numbers going up, then uh, man, that's just a, that's a dangerous um, mentality to be making decisions off of. So yeah. my conviction is technology is a great supplement, but a terrible replacement mm-hmm. for face-to-face ministry and relationships um, and, and, and church, right? Yeah. So there's definitely things that we've learned from of, you know what, this, this thing that we do here, we could, we could do that online or we could do that on Zoom. But man, when we talk about Sunday gatherings and we talk about the nature of discipleship, and those kind of things. I'm doubling down the other direction saying, I think this has showed more than ever, not only our need, but God's design for for, um, proximity, tangibility, um, physical presence, all those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, so as you think about that in, in the future, then, um, are there uh, things you plan to implement that you weren't doing before? Are there areas you, you talked about wanting to double down in the other direction? Uh, are you guys meeting in person yet? You're not, right? So we just had our first in-person outdoor gathering on Easter okay. Sunday, just three days ago. So how good was that, man? I'm like, I probably look healthier and less stressed. And I mean, I I honestly can't tell you how good it was for my soul. I mean, and I still don't have the words for it, but it felt like an injection of life in me. Um, It was like, I just, the way I described it to someone afterwards is I I just feel like a pastor again. Like I met new people in our church. I heard that this couple got engaged and prayed for them. I like, you know, I heard some hard news and was able to just tell someone like, I'm so sorry. I like, I'm grieving with you. Like just the littlest things like that, let alone preaching and hearing other people's voices in worship. So yeah, so we're, we, we just started outdoor gatherings, but we're doing on-site and online. Um, I mean, trying to navigate that in a way where we're driven by our convictions. We want to make sure we're loving towards our city and we're letting people in our church operate with within their own comfort and conscience levels um, uh, with, with gathering in person. Yeah. So as you think about then the future, are there things that, you know, now, like, Hey, we're going to double down on these things because we've seen, you know, either the value of them in their absence, you know, or just thinking about, you know, just as you, you know, as the lead pastor thinking now about this year and next year, what's, where's this all leading you? Yeah. Um, I don't have real concrete answers to that yet. One of the one of the issues that is in the back of my mind is is you know will we do a permanent live stream? Mm-hmm. So we we never did that in the past. We've always done the typical like we post the sermon on Monday kind of yeah. thing, you know. 
Um, and we've never done a live stream mainly for the purpose of like, of we, we value in-person gathering. We, we don't want to give people kind of an out for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, if people are traveling or something, you can somewhat stay connected through listening to the sermon. And, and we've tried to do, you know, with, with people who can't come to a service because of physical illness or whatever, we've tried to do the old school time-tested method of pastors visiting people in their homes and even mm-hmm. bring, bringing communion and things like that. Um, but, but moving forward, we've been really clear on this, that we want to be sensitive to the most vulnerable people. And so if I see, we're not doing a live stream now, we, we pre-record on Thursday, yeah. we post that online on Sunday in, in the morning, and then we have our in-person gatherings now after that. So we're doing both, but eventually we, I think we will switch it to a live stream just for the sake of simplicity when we're, once we're not meeting in a parking lot um, like we're doing now. And um, I don't know. I mean, it, 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 it's, a, it's a tough question because it's, there's what outweighs the other on that. We, yeah. we want to be sensitive to people who are vulnerable, but eventually like that, won't, that shouldn't be a thing in terms of COVID-19. Um, and, and so then you think the positives on this hand are people being able to stay connected when they're out of town, um, people who are sick. But then the big negative is, does it does it kind of just open the door to people saying, well, I don't feel like going to church today, so I'm just going to lay in my bed and, and watch yeah. it on my phone. Yeah. Which, uh, which, I've certainly learned experientially, and I think um, I think you can argue biblically even. It's just it's not the same thing. Yeah. Well, and I I think about that all the time, like you know that that tension of the traveling person versus the lazy person. And then I think, gosh, when was the last time I was on vacation and thought, oh, it's Sunday morning, I should plug into the live stream, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know how much that actually happens, you know, like, if people will actually do that. So yeah, I think yeah. about that tension too. And, and, you know, I haven't thought of this until you said that, but traveling is also a great time to visit other churches, yeah. right? And like that, that kind of the sense of unity and I love being able to go to a church and recognize, oh, they do things differently here. And that's great. Like totally. it's a different culture. They have some, a little bit different convictions that like fit within the bounds of scripture. Like that can be a really healthy thing. So yeah, I, 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 I lean towards that side of like prioritizing in person. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I tell you what, I, I would have a year ago, I would have told you I'll never do video preaching at all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Um, at least in a sense of like, as a replacement for in-person and yeah, yeah, I've been doing it for the last year. So totally, but, but there's definitely a difference between, uh, extreme measures for extreme times yeah, and what becomes the norm. And I I don't know, really careful moving out of this, that, that we're driven by our convictions. Yeah. I just at a practical level, it's my last thought. I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed getting the kind of video dry run. We, we've started doing a live for the last like six weeks or whatever. Yeah. And it's been kind of nice to do a dry run on a Thursday and then preach the real thing on Sunday. And, yeah. and it probably reflects some of my like undervaluing of the lie or the, of the video version of it, where I'm like, ah, that can be a dry run. The real thing, you know, is Sunday mornings yeah. or whatever. So well, I tell you what, I, 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 I was never that that relaxed on Saturday night. Um, yeah, totally. When I wasn't doing, when I did that, and this is just my first week of doing it. But man, having my sermon done on Thursday, um, like legitimately done, because I used to try to have it done on Thursday. But anyways, yeah. right? But then yeah. having it legitimately done was great. So we'll see. I, I definitely think, even for me as a preacher, there will be different rhythms, and in general. I'm trying to go into whatever it looks like to transition into the next season. This is an opportunity of a lifetime to step back and reevaluate things and say, we don't have to do it exactly the way that we did it before. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of the stuff, the way that we were doing it before was just because someone else did it that way before. So I, I really, you know, I'm not like a let's reinvent how we do church kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, the, the building blocks are in place for me, but, but in areas uh, you know, a flexibility. I really want to try and rethink things and be intentional moving forward. 
Cool. So, so I, I know following up on this, we've had a whole thousands of pastors. We've had completely different weird Sunday mornings than we've ever had in history before. You know, we've never had like, oh, what do you know? This is what it's like to not be gone on Sunday morning for so long. You know, it's been yeah. strange. So totally shifting gears here into a new topic. Uh, and um, I'm interested in knowing what kinds of things you and I have had some talks about this, Jeremy, offline in terms of what are you learning right now about how you need to be staffing uh, Reality LA? Like, I know you've got, you're looking for a couple of positions right now, looking to add a staff person here or there. So we didn't tell you in advance we're going to ask you this question, but you're smart enough to tell us. What are, you, what are you learning right now just about staffing and what you need in your church? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I, I've been learning uh, over the last five years the importance of organizational leadership and in general, and that, uh, you know, I, I didn't get taught that kind of stuff in seminary. And for us, the, at least with the size of our church and the location, I just, I wasn't prepared to lead in that kind of complexity. Um, and, and so I would say over the last five years, I've, I've just been trying to do a deep dive on organizational leadership in general. And then I mean, right now we're, we're really trying to do the hard work of building our staff around our vision and our mission. And with a church, our church grew really fast early on. And so what happens, and that was before I was here, what happens there is you end up just hiring people out of need and kind of out of desperation. And, and, and so you're not building with, with the kind of intentionality with that. So we're trying to step back right now and be able to say, what does it look like for us to be good stewards of all the resources that we have? And, and, and yeah, like, and building our ministry around discipleship and justice and evangelism and, you know, all the things that scripture is calling us to do, but also in a way that, um, that acknowledges the business side, the stewardship of all of that. Um, yeah, we've, just, we've, been, we've been working through that a lot and just assuming things like, for example, that pastors are good managers, right? And, and, and I, think, I think a lot of people just assume that it's leadership, you know, manage the house, you know, manage your household. So you kind of assume, but when you have a, when you have a staff, um, you know, our staff is about 25 people, um, man, managing someone under you is, is a really different skill set. And just because someone's a good preacher or a good counselor or a good shepherd doesn't mean they're necessarily good at that. So that's just one example of we're trying to step back and figuring out saying, how do we make sure that we're really faithful? And for us, because of some of the minute we have a recovery program and we serve food every day to the community and uh, working through things like legal and HR and finances, um, you got to pray about those things, but, but you also got to have people who know what they're doing and have expertise in those areas and, and the relationship between that side of things and the min, the people ministries, how those all have to fit together and align around mission is, is so important. And we're, we're in the trenches right now trying to do the, the kind of building work uh, that understands the, the nuances of that is all working together. So let me ask you this. What kind of people do you need around you? Okay, so one of the things that we try to do in Pastor God is help. You know, we help pastors understand their own gifting, not try to do everything. Uh, what kind of people do you need around you? I think it's helpful for us to hear examples like you say, hey, I'm great at these two or three things. Nobody's great at everything. So you're good at these two or three or four things. What kind of people do you feel like you really need around you as you build a staff team? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the obvious ones are some of those some of those areas where I'm completely incompetent. Right. So uh, finance, HR, legal, that kind of stuff. Um, but I would say for more of like a gift set um, perspective, I really need systems and structures people around me. I'm, uh, I love uh, vision and casting vision and thinking about the future 30,000 feet. And I love being on the ground, man. Like my, my favorite thing is just on Sundays before and after services, just praying with people. Talk, like, so I love those spaces. I'm, 
I'm not strong and, and it's not as life-giving to me to be in, in all the middle spaces of that, of, okay, the systems, the structures that are necessary, the processes that are necessary. Think, you know, I'm more of a dreamer, so I need people who can come and poke holes in all of that as much as it drives me crazy. Like I need that of people saying, well, what about this? And have you thought about that? And so I really need um, those kind of people around me so that I can do really well at those two things and be able to delegate in a lot of these areas. Okay, that's good to know. I, I, think, I think that's a self-awareness piece that a lot of us don't have in our 20s and 30s. And the quicker you can get that and understanding, here are the three or four things that God's really gifted me to do. Now, you allude to something that I just want to circle back to for a moment. Um, you said we feed people every day in the community. So tell us a little bit about what does that look like? I know you guys, you uh, you were gifted or or some, some sort of situation around a, a new building a couple of years ago that's not large enough for you to meet in, but it's super central in Hollywood. So what are you doing in terms of feeding the community? What does that look like? Yeah, so I mean, I'll, I'll tell you the story of this because this it's, it's, it's nothing that we can take credit for as a church and say, we set out to do this thing. And um, it's, it's really God's grace. And now it's a stewardship issue for us. So we started as a church 15 years ago and uh, we've never owned property. We've, uh, we've always sought to, to serve the city as well as we can, but we've always been very limited by the fact of, of, of not having a home base to do that out of. And so about three years ago, uh, I mean, I had a relationship with Pastor Ed, who had been the senior pastor at this church in East Hollywood for 25 years. He was a mentor figure to me. We had a relationship with this little church, and we had, we had actually helped about 10 years ago pay for the kitchen for them to start serving food to the community. So a few years ago, Pastor Ed came to me and said, hey, I, I believe that it's God's will for our church to join your church and to give you everything that we have. And I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. Every pastor's dream, every pastor's yeah. dream right there. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, I, I'll tell you this though, I prayed every day for five years that God would give us a building. And we were just looking for an office building, to be honest with you, because it's so expensive to rent office space in LA. Um, and so what that, what we inherited through that was an incredible group of people, you know, 50 to 70 people. I mean, I think of one woman who's been a part of the church for 40 years. Um, so an incredible group of people, but then two buildings. So a, a small Baptist church building on the corner, but it's just, it's historic. I mean, it's 92 years old. Um, it's, I, I mean, Roy Rogers was baptized there in the, in the you know, 20s, 30s. Like it's just historic. It's beautiful. Um, and, and then an office building next to it. And so we inherited those buildings, but then the best part was then this food ministry and recovery program. So the way that the food ministry works is we have, we have around nine or 10 different Trader Joe's or Whole Foods that we, that we go and pick up food that, that's past the selling date for them. And, and so we, uh, we pick up the food, we bring it all back in, we sort it out. And then every day we serve, now we're doing about 300 meals a day. I mean, pre-COVID, it was about 200. Now we're doing about 300 meals a day. Uh, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. and 4 p.m., we serve food. And it's incredible. I mean, you know, you think about, you think about like serving the unsheltered and you, people typically uh, think of bad food, right? You're, you're serving a mush. Well, we get this food from Trader Joe's and Whole Foods. I mean, the other day we served salmon and they were individually wrapped salmon. I mean, I carry a box of these things in they're $8 a piece and we served 150 of them. Um, and it, I mean, it's like salmon, salad, strawberries, cookie for dessert. Um, and we're all about dignity and, and acknowledging the dignity in these people. So we want to serve a, a good meal. We, we don't, um, well, it, it's shifted with COVID because we've had to change a lot of things, but typically we don't use paper plates. They're like, we, we want real silverware. Like we try and sit down and eat with them as much as we can. Cause it, it's one thing to serve someone. It's another thing to sit down and eat with them. Um, so it's just, it's just an incredible ministry that, that we've inherited. And, and it's, we say people come for the food, but they stay for community. So it's, it's more of, 
the community and the relationships that we build. So that's the food ministry. And then we've got an army of volunteers at our church that we've been able to plug into that. But it, it, it works with the recovery program. So the guys in our recovery program are guys that were living on the streets um, and, and have, you know, the goal is to, for them to come in, it's addiction and recovery. So for them to be able to get right with the Lord, get healthy, get job skills and be able to send them back out into the community. And so those guys do a, um, a lot of the work with cooking, with driving. Um, so, I mean, I think of a guy in our program who, I mean, I'm, I'm meeting with him in an hour and a half to do discipleship today. And a year and a half ago, he was sleeping on the steps of our church building and coming for meals. He came in our, our recovery program and not only now is he serving food to the people who were in the same place that he was in a year and a half ago, he's the head chef now. We have volunteers that come into our church and he's training them on what to do. And he's, he's the one in the kitchen cooking all the food and serving it up. And you should just see the joy and gratitude on his face when he's able to serve up this incredible meal to people who are in the position that he was in a year before. So uh, that, that's been a really beautiful ministry. And uh, I, I don't mean to make it sound uh, beautiful without also being really difficult and messy and hard. Um, I've learned that about uh, urban ministry as well, that there's a lot of people have, you know, honeymoon kind of idealism about serving the poor. And it's really hard. Uh, and there's a lot of complexity and sacrifice. And um, so I, I just want to say that because it it, it, it's not all it's not it's not all just you know beautiful easy stories but but it really is an incredible work that god's doing and that that we've inherited you know that brings two quick things to my mind the first thing it brings to my mind is a guy that you and i both know who does a lot of work with homeless people in hollywood told me once uh there's such tremendous loneliness because people walk by a a homeless person and they ignore them like they don't exist you mm -hmm. know and so what you just said is they come for the food but they stay for community. The second thing that this brings to my mind is, is about 10 years ago, I was in London on a trip with Ed Stetzer. There were about 20 pastors. He used to do these sort of, he might still do them, but he used to do these trips where he would take 20 pastors. He would take you to different, uh, to different, to visit different missions work and to build missions partnerships. And we got on a bus and we went to the far East end of London I mean, it's, we, we took the tube as far as you can go and then got on a bus and went another 45 minutes. We got off this bus on the far east side of London where I'd never been, and it looked like we were in Pakistan. So there were no white people. Um, it felt like we had walked into Pakistan. And so uh, a group of 20, you know, middle-aged pastor white guys walking through. And our first stop was to, the, uh, was to the Hindu temple where people were worshiping, and we went in and sat in, and then probably there for 20 minutes. And then we went... Um, next door to the to the uh, mosque where Friday prayers were going on, and a, and a and a girl who was a Christian was converting uh, to Islam. A girl who was a professing Christian, and we watched the imam um, convert this girl to Islam, and uh, you know hundreds of young men. And then we go to the Sikh temple, and the, literally all of these are walking distance within say a half a mile away. And the Sikh temple was like the size of the Staples Center. You know, it was huge. We go in and they're serving food all day long, every day, 7 a.m. till 10 at night. We ate in the Sikh temple with all of these Sikhs. And then Ed Stetzer walks us out and he points across the street and he says, you see that building over there? And it was a Baptist church building with a chain link fence. He said, it's open for two hours every Sunday morning. He said, now, if you're searching for faith, where are you going to land between these four places? And so I've never forgotten that. It was 10 years ago. And the fact that you are open for people, uh, such a great lesson for us to hear, those of us who may, you know, be opening the church building for two hours a week rather than, than, than being a constant presence. And I've been, to, I've been to that building where you feed people, and I know right there in the center. So, man, that is, I hope, we, I hope everybody on this call today is encouraged to hear the, the, the importance, the messiness and the importance of being present in the lives of people. We can talk about nothing but this, but Justin, I'll toss it over to you too. And by the way, let me say this too. If you, if you have um, questions for, we're going to leave 10 minutes or so at the end for questions. And so if you have any questions, 
for Jeremy. Um, we've got 15 minutes before we wrap, so make sure and let us know. Justin, back over to you. Yeah, this has uh, been great, man. And uh, one of the questions we always like to ask guys, just because we're, uh, you know, I think all of us are trying to figure out like how to do the the little stuff in ministry, but like, what are your kind of work and rest rhythms? What's your schedule look like? When do you prioritize sermon prep? When do you prioritize staff stuff? Just kind of an overview of your work and rest rhythms. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really different right now with COVID. I mean, I've shifted everything. But the general principle that I go by is I, I work better in, with big chunks of time. And so I try and put things in buckets. And so for me, I essentially have two days that are devoted to um, preaching and vision. And then I have two days that are devoted to staffing and meetings. And, and I pretty much, well, pre-COVID, I had lunch with people in our church every day on those. So that was kind of like midday, like I'm just connecting with someone in the church, which is good for me if it's a sermon prep day, you know, I can only go three or four hours of concentrating really well. And then to have lunch with someone and then come back to it is really good. So, yeah, I mean, I, I so in the past, what it would be was um, I would do, I would take Monday off and then I would have Tuesday, Wednesday would be my days in the office meetings wall to wall um, with a combination of people in the church and people on staff and our, you know, our elder meetings and all that. And then uh, Thursday, Friday were my days where I wouldn't even come into the office. I'm doing sermon prep and thinking, trying to think about the next year and vision and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and then uh, su Sundays are so different now than what they used to be. Sundays used to be 15 hour days for me. I was preaching four times and, uh, you know, doing a lot of stuff in between. Now it's just, you know, now it's different that we're starting doing outdoor gatherings. But that's all been mixed up in, in COVID, but I've still tried to stick with the same general principle of buckets of time, the environment that I'm, I try and match my environment to what I'm trying to do. So uh, when I'm in the office, I'm doing meetings. Um, and trying to get things done and make decisions. And when I am, one of, the, one of the most important rhythms that I have is on Thursday mornings, I try and spend the first half of the day up in Griffith Park, which is just massive park in the middle of Los Angeles where I, I, can, I can hike up 10 minutes and be at a spot where I'm overlooking the whole city. And I'll go up there and spend the first half of the day. And that's where I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll spend time praying, uh, I'll kind of start my sermon prep where I just read the passage that I'm preaching on over and over again. I just have an openness in that space where it's, it's all, that's often where like vision comes to me where I'm not trying, but it just comes to me. Um, and so that's a, that's been a really important rhythm for me, both just like for my soul personally, and then for vision. If I try to come in my office and do that, I just, I, I get distracted really quick. So um yeah, that's that, that's the main reason with with rest. I mean, it's just trying trying to protect my um, trying to protect my weekends and my weeknights. I've I've started a new I just started a new practice in the last few months where every week where I'm not preaching, I I'm taking at least one or two days off, um, and and that's because because those are the weeks where I can truly rest because you know. Set, Sunday's not coming. Sunday's coming, but the Sunday sermon's not coming. Um, and so that's been important for me. And then I have annual rhythms too. So in August, I don't preach at all in August. I usually work that time, but that's just a time for me, like vision. It's good for my soul to have a month out of the pulpit. And then oftentimes in Advent, I, I take a few weeks off of preaching as well. And those are time, those are both key times for me in, in August where I don't preach, where I'm ramping up for the fall. And then in uh, Advent, we're ramping up for the, the year ahead. So I usually take some time off in that, but it's even just a different workspace for me to be able to focus more on vision and rest. Cool. That's good. Griffith Park, uh, where La La Land was set, for those of you that do not live in uh, the Los Angeles area. So <laughs> super beautiful place. Um, any like, and, and this is the last question we'll ask you, then we've got a couple of questions in the Q&A, but um, any fun plans for this summer? We've got a week or two vacation as a family or anything you're going to do to really rest this summer? 
Yeah, we're so the one I'm most excited about is we're planning a trip up to Alaska. My my kids have grown up hearing stories about Alaska. I mean, for them growing up in the city in LA, I mean, small town Alaska is just a different world for them. So they've grown up hearing stories about moose and me jumping off the roof into the snow and tunnel, you know, like just all kinds of stuff. And so we've, we've, I've really been looking forward to taking it. I wanted to wait till they were old enough to really like enjoy it and remember it. So we're going to go to Alaska this summer and spend some time there, which will also just be really sweet for me of like going back to where I grew up. Um, so that that's the big one that I'm looking forward to. That definitely feels like that will be a, a shift and a change in lifestyle. I don't know if there's COVID in Alaska or not. It might be, might not be, might, probably not quite as proficient as it has been in Los Angeles. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Anyway, a little bit less density in Alaska than LA. <laughs> a little bit less, a little bit less. That's right. All right, we've got a couple of questions here, um, and we'll just take these. We probably only have time for these two because we're going to wrap in seven minutes. But uh, one from Thomas Smith. Talk about more about the necessity of a discipleship of proximity getting close to one another and God and the necessity of being face-to-face. -face. Other thoughts on that, Jeremy? Yeah, so the, and the proximity question is a tough one because I live in a commuter city where people live in one part of the city, work in another and play in another, and you can drive 45 minutes between all those. Um, and so what we're trying to do is, is focus regionally and building these clusters of community. So everything's not centralized in that sense. Here's the important thing about proximity. I don't think proximity in and of itself is the, um, is the goal. The goal is life on life discipleship, where I think the, the most effective discipleship happens with people who are a part of your everyday life, where you bump into each other. You, so whether that's they're your neighbors, you work together, you live close enough to be able to get coffee right before work. Um, the, like you see each other at the gym, those kind of things. Because I, I can do intentional discipleship with someone who lives in Santa Monica, right? Like I live in Los Feliz, Santa Monica. So I can drive, we have to drive an hour to see each other, even though we live in the same city. And the problem is we're going to have like an hour or two once a week. And then I'm not going to see them. We're going to have no touch points throughout. And it's just going to move really slow. But if, if I'm doing discipleship with someone in my community group, and I, I usually bump into them in the coffee shop once a week, we see each other at community group on Wednesday nights, we see each other at church on Sunday, we're like, I need to borrow, you know, we need to borrow something for to make dinner that night, I can text them, like that kind of context, or it's like, hey, I had a hard day, like, could you just stop by, like, pray for me really quick? that kind of proximity creates opportunities for that life on life, everyday kind of discipleship. And that's what I think is the key. Okay. Good stuff, man. That's, that's been brutal in the last year. I remember the first time I got with the person, maybe two or three months after COVID, we met, we both brought our chairs. We wore masks until we sat down. I lived just miles or so from Jeremy. And so there's not, uh, remarkably different. It's a little looser where I live, but but still, I remember just even being six or eight feet from a person, taking that mask off, sitting and talking to them, praying together. Spent three hours together for that was that first time after uh, you know just video calls like this all the time. So key, man, and so so key that life on life. Now Tim Stewart is up in Northern California. Uh, Timothy says I've heard Jeremy talk about prayer several times. What would he say to the planter or pastor? about prayer and the importance of it? Oh, great question. Um, a, a mentor of mine when I was really young in ministry once told me that prayer is the work and ministry is the reward. And I, I think I, I live by that. And prayer isn't just work. Like you got to qualify that. Like prayer is a gift, right? Like prayer is grace. Like we get to pray, but I don't always feel like praying. And um and I really think that prayer is so important. We say in, the, in, in our church all the time, the minute we stop praying is the minute we start dying as a church. And, and, I, and I think it's so important that even when we're talking about leadership, like, man, I want to be a good organizational leader. 
but I want to lead out of a place of dependence um, on the Lord and prayerfulness because I want the Holy Spirit to ultimately be who's leading us in our church. So I can't say enough about that. I, you know, I think about that famous Martin Luther quote where he said, you know, I have so much, I have so much to do today that I'm going to pray for four hours rather than two. Um, you know, it's, some, it's something like that. And of course that quote puts all of us to shame, but the principle is like the busier you get, like the more you actually need to pray and make sure you're operating out of that space. I think, I think you even see that with Jesus and the way that we, he withdrew to be with the father. So I think prayer is huge. And that flows from a place of, of um, one of the things we say all the time is ministry flows from intimacy. And so if I get to a place where I'm working for God and, but I'm distant from him, that is the pathway to burnout and unhealth and eventually resentment towards God. And so I, I want to be in a place of intimacy with the Lord, abiding in Christ, where my ministry is flowing out of that. And I think, you know, during, during COVID, we've got to check that even more and more because there's always a temptation to kind of act like we've got our act together. Um, and I mean, I've just, I've said repeatedly to our church this year, I'm exhausted. I'm, this is hard. I'm like, I need prayer for wisdom because I've never been in this situation before. And I, I think the more we can be coming back to the Lord humbly, the more we can actually lead out of that space of weakness, which is, I, th I think, just as important, if not more important than leading out of our strengths is knowing when to lead out of our weakness. You're muted, Brian. You're muted, Brian. All right, that's a great way for us to finish today. <laughs> to just, um, I'd like to pray for Jeremy, and then I would like to ask all of you, even before you get out of your chair or if you're standing, uh, would you pray for Jeremy and Reality LA? And look, you know, if Los Angeles was was its own state, it would be the tenth biggest state in the United States. That's how many people are in this city within, you know, uh, a two-hour drive, depending on traffic. You know, so um, man, let's pray for him. And then I, would, I, I, I hope, too, that you will feel encouraged uh, at the things that Reality LA is doing, and you'll be able to implement some of this stuff in your context. God, thank you for the ministry of Reality LA, for the journey that you brought Jeremy on from Alaska to uh, Seattle to Biola, back to Seattle to Chicago, uh, back here to LA, and then ultimately for these last eight years or so uh, where he's been at Reality LA. I pray, God, uh, you would bless his ministry, and I pray that um, that you would continue to give Reality LA opportunities to speak into the lives of people, to see people come to know you uh, as they feed 300 people a day or 200, whatever the current number is, as they have recovery homes. I pray, God, that you would do mighty work in saving people and restoring lives of people who are broken. We know that LA is a broken city. We know that our world is a broken world, and God, we ask you to through us step into it in Jesus name. Amen. Yeah. Right on. Thank you, Jeremy, so much for your time today. We'll see all of the rest of you here next week. Uh, Pastor Guide, same time next Wednesday. Thanks again, Jeremy, for being with us, man. We really appreciate it. Thank you guys. God bless all you pastors. All right. Bye everyone.